0: I'd like to read you two parts of two passages. The first one is found in first Timothy two seven. Paul is speaking here and he says, Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. And then Second Timothy 1.11 says, Whereunto I am appointed a preacher, comma, and an apostle, comma, and a teacher of the Gentiles. Evidently, um, Paul wore three hats. The hat of preacher, the hat of an apostle, and the hat of teacher. And for years, I've heard old people um, make conjectures of what the difference was between preaching and teaching. And uh, I've never really been settled on the answer. And as I've studied that this week, I want to share some things I came to, the conclusions I came to. But in one sense... It's kind of like the soul and the spirit. They're intertwined, and separating them is really hard. Preaching and teaching is intertwined, and separating them is really hard. I would like to share with you, because the way this is listed, it looks like two separate offices. It doesn't look like teacher is a subset of the preacher office. When I look at the qualifications for a elder, it says apt to teach. It doesn't say apt to preach. But yet we as a church would never ordain anybody unless they could preach. When I look at Paul, what he did is oftentimes he would go into city. The first place he would show up was in a synagogue. And then he would preach there until they got aggravated at him for preaching Christ. And then they kicked him out. And then he would go on the porch or a street corner or someone's house or a riverbank. And he would start teaching the things of Christ. So that's what he was doing, teaching the Gentiles. So I thought, well, maybe it's the formality. Maybe preaching is formal and and teaching is informal. And that seems like it's getting close, but I don't think that encompasses everything. So what I'd like to do is in this third series of pastoral epistles, I would like to concentrate on this teaching-preaching aspect. Now, I found that the word teach shows up in its various forms 17 times, and that doesn't count the words like learned and instruction and taught, It's just the word teach. So there shows up quite a bit. It's a pretty important thing that what Paul was telling his son in the mystery to do is to teach. And then I found that the word preach was only showed up seven times, but then there were synonyms for that word also. The two seem pretty intermingled, but at the same time, the way they're listed, they're also separate. Let me show you something. This is Paul. He's wearing three hats. One is a preacher hat. One is an apostle hat. And one is a teacher hat. Now I'm gonna stop right here because this does not apply to me in that the apostle, the time of the apostles are over. A qualification for apostle is they had extraordinary power, which people today do not. They could prophesy and they write scripture, which we have a completed word of scripture, though so that's no longer on the table. And they also saw the risen Jesus Christ. And you know what? 2,000 years later, I have not seen the risen Jesus Christ. Neither has any of these great uh, preachers over the years from Spurgeon to Whitfield to whoever else you're talking about. So we don't, I don't believe that office is available anymore, but I still think there's definitely preachers and teachers. In the church, there are different offices. Sometimes they're together, sometimes they're separate. In Acts 13.1, it says, Now there were in the church was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers. So this is, uh, looks like it's different. We go to Ephesians 4.11, it says, and he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Now right there, pastor and teacher is the same office. It's the same office, one and the same. So a pastor is a teacher. And then we want to come down here, and in Matthew 11 and 1, Jesus had been with his disciples. He sent them out two by two, and after he sent them out two by two and he gave them the charge, it says it came to pass when Jesus made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. So he taught and he preached. So what exactly Jesus did, and what did he do when he was preaching, when he wasn't teaching, and what did he do when he was teaching, when he wasn't preaching? And you know what? Sometimes those lines blur together pretty well, and it's pretty tough to separate them. In Colossians one twenty-eight, this is Paul speaking to the church. It says, whom we preach, warning every man, and teaching every man in all wisdom. Oh, so preaching is warning, and teaching is giving someone wisdom, no, I think it's more than that. Also, so we see the terms used a lot. I went and I looked, and I, I looked, and, and sometimes in the gospel, there's parallel passage where an event is happening, and the word is preached is used. In the, another gospel, they'll use the word teach. Sometimes there's a Greek word, and one times it's it's interpreted preach, and one times it's interpreted teach. So I couldn't get any clarity there too. So again, it's kind of like dividing the soul and the spirit. Dividing preaching and teaching was tough. However, there isn't a lesson and an application for us today. Let me read Acts 2.46. Now, there is definitely a capacity where God's ministers do things publicly and they do things privately. And there is a ministry for both. Notice what it says here in Acts 2.46. And they, continuing daily with one accord in the temple... And breaking bread from house to house did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. So these ministers were doing both. There was a ministry they did in a public forum in the temple, and there was another ministry they did in the kitchen tables. In Acts 5.42, it says, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Jesus Christ. So again, I ask the question, well, when's the preaching and when's the teaching? Is the preaching in the temple and the teaching at the kitchen table? And then finally in Acts 20, 20, Paul gathered all the ministers together and he was talking to them and he looks at what it says here. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you, but have showed you and taught you publicly and from house to house. So... The key is is okay if you're looking, what's a minister supposed to do, he's supposed to minister the word of God, and sometimes it's in a public forum and sometimes it's in a private forum. And if you want to say the public forum, that's when he's got his preacher hat on, in a private forum, that's when he's got his teacher hat, you're probably gonna get most of the definition. Not everything, but you're gonna get most of it. Now this is gonna surprise you. Here's Paul, here's his three offices. He's a preacher, he's an apostle, and he's a teacher. I'll get the apostle one really, really quick because that doesn't apply to today. But as an apostle, one thing he is, he's an eyewitness. He's an eyewitness to Jesus Christ. He saw some things with his own eyeballs and he shared those things. That made him an apostle. But the other thing was, is he had some power he could, he could uh, tell preachers, you go to this church, you go to this church, you accept this church. This is the preacher I'm sending to you. We don't have that kind of power today. I, people don't do that today. I know there's men that try to do that, but that's not biblical. Paul could do that because he knew was an apostle. He had a certain power. But notice what I've got here for a preacher and a teacher. A preacher is to instruct and a preacher is also to inspire. But then when I go over to the teacher, you know what a teacher's supposed to do? He's supposed to instruct and he's supposed to inspire also. Just, just think about it from the classroom. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've taught math over the years. When are we ever going to use this? You get it, Algebra 1, Algebra 2, Trigger, when will we ever use this? What I have to do is my job is more than just teaching them the information. I've got to inspire them to show applications. Do you understand? And a teacher that doesn't inspire isn't a teacher that's worth diddly. But then we go to a preacher, and we go to a preacher that all he does is inspire, but he doesn't instruct her, and you know what? He's not worth diddly either. So you're, and, and the thing is, is, okay, a preacher instructs, and a teacher instructs, what is that? That's teaching. So you see these terms are crisscrossing. There's the soul and the spirit. How do you divide that apart? Well, let's try to bear down on that. Now, instructional, and I call this, or I, did, I didn't know, when I call this part of preaching and teaching in, urgent or inspirational, what goes in there is a lot of things. Like, for instance, command and exhort and rebuke, and comfort, and edify. Those are all what I call inspirational things. Those are all urgent things. Those are all application and a call to action. And a preacher's got to do that, or the message doesn't have anything, but a teacher's got to do that also. Okay? Notice what it says here, 1 Timothy 4.11. These things command and teach. 1 Timothy 6.2 two. These things exhort and teach. Now, what was the th- these th- things? These things in 1 Timothy 4.11. If you go read the context, that's trusting in God. Not only teach it, but command it. These things exhort and teach. What are those? Honoring masters, your earthly employers. In 2 Timothy 4.2, it says, Preach the word in season and out of season. And when you're preaching, what are you doing? You're reproving, rebuking, and exhorting. Now, I got to share something with you. Let me go back about two generations. Yeah, we talk about a pendulum swinging from extreme to extremes. That's what we do. And if you go back at two generations ago, the, the preaching was very heavily into inspiring, and it was weak on instruction. Here it is two generations later, and I think the pendulum has swung to the other extreme where it's very heavy on instruction and it's weak on the inspiration. You know what, both of them are errors. There's a balance in the middle. And I think the reason why is in the culture we live today and we will deny it, we're not Christians, we've separated ourselves from the world. And I say, you're fooling yourself if you think the culture doesn't influence you. Don't tell me what to do. Who are you to judge me? Who are you to exhort me? People get their feathers ruffled in that part. So what happens is the preacher shies away from that because he gets the scowled looks. And when he does the comforting and the edifying, and he does the entire, they get the smiling. So here it is two generations later, and I think it's one of those things that go by. Here's a, a study a preacher told me about a long time ago. And I think this is a little bit what's going on. There was a psychology professor, and he was teaching a classroom. And what they did is the class did an experiment on their psychology teacher. And as he gave his lecture, whenever he wandered to the corner where there was a little radiator, they all looked up, smiled, nodded, and started taking a lot of notes. And when he walked to the other side of the room, their heads went down and they weren't paying attention. They didn't take any notes. Did you know by the end of the sermon, he was sitting on the radiator? And our culture is one that resists the correction. Notice how close the teaching and the preaching is. Now, when we go over to a preacher and he's instructing, what is he talking about? He's talking about loving God. He's talking about loving neighbor. Loving God is the first four commandments, yes. Loving neighbor is the second six commandments. That's the instruction. He's talking about eternal doctrine, and he's talking about earthly duty. That's what instruction is. And then we come over to the inspire. He's to comfort. He's to encourage. He's to command. He's to exhort. Now, I want you to go over to the teacher Guess what the teacher's supposed to teach? The same thing. He's supposed to teach loving God, loving neighbor, eternal doctrine, and earthly duty. And you know what? He's supposed to inspire in the same way. He's going to comfort, he's going to encourage, he's going to command, and he's going to exhort. So it's the same thing. So if they're teaching and they're instructing the same thing, what's the difference between preaching and teaching? Is it simply the informal and the non-informal? Is it the Holy Ghost is with them and the Holy Ghost is not with them? When the Holy Ghost is with them, that's preaching. When the Holy Ghost is not with them, that's teaching. And I don't think that's it at all. Let me give you a couple more verses here. In Revelations 1 through 5, the church at Ephesus was very well taught. If you read the description of that church, they had their doctrine down and they had their practice down. You know where they were weak at? The heart. Their feelings. Their inspiration. They were, work, they, they were weak there. They lacked intensity. We preached a message just a little while ago in Romans 10 where there was some Hebrews, and they were really high in intensity. It says they were zealous for God. But what did it say about them? They were ignorant. They had no instruction. So here you got a church at Ephesus that was well taught, but they were lacking an in inspirational. And here's a church, that was, or here's a group of Hebrews that converted, that were, needed conversion, that were excited about God, but you know what? They didn't know the doctrine. Y'all, you need both. And a preacher needs to share both. Now, it doesn't matter if it's preaching or if it doesn't matter I'm sitting at a kitchen table with my children in a devotional If I'm not inspiring my kids, if I'm not exhorting them, if I'm not making applications, if I'm not encouraging them, if I'm not edifying and building them up, you know what, it's just words they're going to memorize that they regurgitate. Y'all, that's not what teaching is. That's information passing. And God's teaching is more than that. Notice it says, for the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. It's going to have power, and it doesn't matter if the power is in a formal congregation sitting in pews or if it's at a kitchen table sitting in a high chair. 2 Corinthians 3, 6, able ministers. They're not ministers of the letter, but they're of the Spirit. Remember, the law killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So even when you're teaching, it needs life. It needs spirit. And then finally, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1.5, The gospel came not unto you in word only, but in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much insurance. And again, that is just not a pulpit thing. I sure hope it happens every time I get in the pulpit. But if it doesn't say Brother Dolph wasn't preaching, just say he was preaching bad. Or he was preaching on his own without the Lord. But teaching's the same way. If we get together and someone calls and says, you know, hey, Brother Dolph, I want to know about uh, this particular top- topic, and we sit there and, and in there, you know what? Instruction better come, but also in that has to come what? Has to come the inspiration, the urgency. When, when, when Jesus was standing alone with that woman that was called at adultery in John chapter 8, and remember all the people left? Is that preaching or teaching? Well, there's only two of them, so it must be teaching, right? If that's, if that's your criteria. And what did he say? Neither do I condemn thee. And then what he gave to do? He gave the command, go and sin no more. Amen? There's the urgency. That was a teaching moment, but there was urgency in there. What happens if he left that part off and she went back to being a prostitute? He wasn't doing her any good. So there's teaching has both. So does preaching have both. Notice what it says about, and I do this because in Matthew 7, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, that's a very famous passage, and we call that the Sermon on the Mount, right? So I assume that was preaching, yes? And notice what it says at the very end of that. It says the people were astonished. There was a whole great big crowd there on that mountain, And the people were astonished, for he taught them as one having authority. So in that preaching service, he preached and he had authority. But notice what it says in John 7, 46. This is not a preaching environment. This is just him sitting around with a couple guards. And notice what it says. It says, the officers answered, never man spake like this man. It was in a private setting, and the Holy Ghost was upon him, and they were blown away by his words. You know, teaching better have that too. So when I come to the pastoral epistles, First Timothy, second Timothy and Titus, and I see all these words like teaching and taught and instructed and learned being used, you know what? Even if it was done in a private setting, even if it's just Jesus sitting around talking with his 12 disciples, and we call that a teaching setting, what's happening there? They are being motivated. They're being encouraged, they're being exhorted, they're being corrected. And he's doing it with the power of the truth and the Holy Spirit. And y'all, when it comes time for looking for the next person, you want someone that can do pre, not only for that from the pulpit, but also can do that at a kitchen table in an informal sense. Now again, you look at Jesus Christ, and I don't, there's no way around it. As he was interacting and ministering with people, he did just as much monologue as he did dialogue. Monologue mean one way going this way, formal, versus dialogue, question and answers going back. It's the word of God. And that's what it says: a elder must be apt to teach, which includes that. But then also notice: part of preaching is instruction, part of teaching is instruction. Apt to teach covers both of those too. You just don't want someone that can get up and get you all wound up. Because then you don't have the instruction you don't know what to go out and do and be wound up about. Apt to teach. First Timothy 3.2 A bishop must be blameless. Apt to teach, not a novice. You better have the doctrine down. Yes? He's got to be an expert. If I'm going to go teach math to a 10th grade geometry class, I better know the curriculum better than they do. I better know it inside and out. I also better know it from an application standpoint. Because I know that, when will we ever use this, Mr. Painter? When I, teach, when I taught geometry, we studied geometry all semester long. So it started in August and somewhere around February, We get to a point and I make them build a toothpick bridge. I think I've shared this with you before. You remember that? And for six months, from August to February, we study triangles. And we find out that triangles rule. They're stronger than squares, they're stronger than rectangles, they're stronger than rhombuses, they're they're, they're parallel, they're stronger than anything. They rule. So when it comes time to making blueprints for their Toothpick bridges, there's always one or two that make a bridge out of squares. Because I give them the things, and it's got to span 10 inches, and i got to hang two textbooks underneath it, and that's what they have to do to pass. And the ones that make it out of squares, it always falls and goes to the floor. Do you understand? Somehow I'm trying to motivate them that this has real-world application. Okay, Triangles rule. Next time you drive on a bridge, look for the triangles. Now I know you got the cables, but that's calculus, and that's beyond tenth grade geometry. 2 Timothy 2.24. The servant of the Lord must be apt to teach in meekness instructing. So not only has he be an expert, he's got to have the right attitude when he teaches. That self-righteous stuff just doesn't work with tenth graders or church members, no matter what the age. And then finally, Hebrews 5 and 12. Paul was getting after these Hebrew converts and he says, you know what? You ought to be teachers, but you have need that one teach you again. In other words, you ought to have this information down well enough to teach someone else. But you know what? You don't. Matter of fact, I got to reteach you because you just don't have the expert and then the attitude. Notice what it says in 2 Timothy 2.15. We sung this this morning. Studied, approved unto God rightly dividing the word that you need not be ashamed you got to be proficient in the word of god and then titus 1:9 you must be able by sound doctrine to exhort and convince say gainsayers not only have you be proficient you have to be effective that's the apt to teach that's the apt to make the application okay to all different sorts of people i'm going to try something here I'm going to look at two situations. Now, this is not etched in stone definition, okay? It's not. What I'm trying to give you is a broad sweep that what might be some of the difference between preaching and teaching. Now, again, I'm going back to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, the And we jump all the way to the end, and we see there's a whole great big group of people here. So we know this is the Sermon on the Mount. We look at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. We see all the people. We see it was a formal setting, and he's preaching, and it's one-way oration. This is not question and answer. So this is a sermon. And I just want—I can't go through all three chapters and go through that whole sermon, but I'm just starting at the beginning. And I'm I'm not even going to go through all the beatitudes. But notice how he's preaching. He's preaching in— Generalities. Okay? Seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger. And notice what it is it's kind of this rapid fire generalizations. This is a preaching. Now, it looks like it's just to the disciples, but when I get to the end, the multitudes are still there. But you know what? A pastor knows his congregation better than a visiting minister. Do you understand? If I have a congregation of farmers, I'm going to use a lot of farming examples. That's what Jesus did. If I've got a congregation of fishermen, I'm going to use some net and line fishing examples. Does that make sense? If a man knows his congregation, he's going to do that. If I have a congregation and they're mostly medical personnel. And I have got a brother in Alabama that has a church that's mostly medical personnel. He's gonna use a different type of analogy in talking to him. So in a way, he has turned his preaching into teaching because he knows his past, as a pastor, he knows his congregation really, really well. Well, when you start teaching, you really bear down. Yeah, you know, that's one of the reasons why I get after y'all. And I talk about the finished work of Jesus Christ and I say there's 46 past tense verbs. Why do I do that? To show off that I got 46 down and you only got 12? No, I don't do that. It's not going to hurt you to have all 46 because one day you are going to run into a judge or you're going to run into a police officer or you're going to run into an ex-soldier or you're going to run into a truck driver. There's words for all those people. Amen? You're going to do that at a kitchen table. Or you're going to do it sitting in a ballpark watching little kids play baseball. You're gonna get your opportunities. So you want to listen, okay? Let's go to a teaching example. This is interesting. This is the prodigal son. Look at the setting of the story. I would call this, quote unquote, a teaching, not a preaching. Why would you call that a teaching? Because look at the context of who's there. Jesus is out somewhere and sitting at a picnic table and he's talking to publicans and sinners and he's telling about the gospel. And as he's telling about the gospel, along come some Pharisees and some scribes and they look by and they, isn't that Jesus? Who's he sitting with? Doesn't he know those people have cooties? And they come up behind him and he says, Jesus, what kind of preacher are you? If you're a preacher, you wouldn't be sitting and having a picnic with these guys. And Jesus gives them uh, three parables. Not one parable, but three parables. You know what he's doing? He's lasering in on his audience. Are you going to call this preacher or teaching? I'm going to call it instruction with motivation. Would you want to call it preaching or teaching? I don't care what you call it. But you know he's looking at his audience. Just like a pastor is going to bear down and consider his congregation. He's going to bear down and look at these Pharisees. This message was Pharisees. Luke 15, 1 through 7. Then drew near unto him all the publicans and sinners for to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes murmured, saying, This man receiveth sinners, and eateth with them, and he spake this parable unto them. This is a dialogue. There's conversation going back and forth. There's a need that he sees with these people, and there is a response he's going to give. And what he does is he tells them three stories. He tells them about a person that lost a sheep. He tells them about a person that lost a coin. And he tells them about a father that lost a son. Three parables. It is One message with three illustrations, all directed at a target audience. Y'all, that's teaching. That's instruction. All right, so we're talking about instruction. Let's talk about the who, what, when, where, and whys. In the pastoral epistles, it says, Suffer a woman not to teach or exert authority. But in Titus, it says, Older women, teach the younger woman. Well, it depends on who you teach. Let's ask some of the who, what, when, where, and whys. Who do you teach? Well, some of the target audiences were being taught here were the relatives of windows, widows. First Thessalonians five four. Second Timothy one eleven is teaching Gentiles. Second Timothy 2.2 two is teaching young ministers. Second Timothy two twenty five is teaching people who oppose themselves. Titus two four is teaching young women. And I always stress this. Notice what he told his son in the ministry, Titus. He said, Titus, you stay away from them, young girls. He said, you let the older ladies do that. That's a ministry you got no business doing. Let them take care of that one. And then 2 Timothy 2.12 is teach all men. How? How do you teach them? 1 Timothy 2.7 says, in faith and verity. 1 Timothy 4.15 says, giving thyself wholly. Holy. 2 Timothy 2.24, with gentleness and patience. 2 Timothy 2.25 says, teach it in wisdom. Titus 1.9 says, teach holding fast the form, the form of the sound word. And Titus 2.7 says, teach being a pattern. In other words, model it. That's how you teach. Can I teach that? Can I model it from the pulpit? It's going to be hard, isn't it? Some of your most effective Teaching is going to be the shoe leather you walk Monday through Saturday. One of the things when I first came among uh, my late wife's family, I met a minister there, and uh, he was not. He was a good man, and he was a great pastor, but he was not the most dynamic speaker you ever heard. He just wasn't. And he preached a message on love. I think I've told you this before. He turned my world upside down but he didn't teach t- turn my world upside down Sunday morning. He turned my world upside down Monday morning. And if you remember the story he preached on love and my neighbor and I sat in the congregation we, went, we were living in Michigan and we went down for a holiday and we were down there and, and uh, I heard the message Sunday morning and as he's preaching I'm going yeah, yeah, yeah. But during the prayer requests there was a brother that was really sick near the end of his life, Brother Johnson and my wife said I would really like to see him before we go back to Michigan, we had like a noon flight out of Atlanta and back to Michigan and I said well if we go there really early in the morning we can see him but We gotta be out of there by eight thirty, because we gotta drive all the way downtown. Traffic during rush hour in Atlanta, which is a stinker. And then we gotta get on under plane. So, so she says, "Okay, we'll do it." So we did. We we packed up, and we got dressed, we got loaded up the car, drove drove the, the car as we were heading to the the airport to drop off the rental car. And we showed up at eight o'clock in the morning. We knock on the door. It was Mrs. Johnson. She opened the door. Is your husband ready? Well, he's taking a bath right now. You come here and sit in the living room. He'll be out in a second. So we sat in there. we were visiting with Mrs. Johnson. And about five minutes later, my pastor, Edward Cagle, came out carrying Brother Johnson. See, I heard a sermon on Sunday morning, but I saw a sermon on Monday morning. Do you understand? You're going to call that preaching or teaching? I'm going to call that instruction and motivation. Do you understand? Doesn't matter what you call it. It got through. It was a one on one lesson. That's it. Turned my world upside down. And all of a sudden, my perspective of what serving the Lord was completely changed. So let me go forward. What do you teach? Here's some of the things that were listed in the pastoral epistles. Cease to blaspheme. Sounds like a command, doesn't it? Or not show piety. 1 Timothy 5.13, cease from idleness and tattling. Sounds like a command. 2 Timothy 3 and 7, understanding and wisdom. Understanding sounds like teaching. Wisdom sounds like something you need experience doing. 2 Timothy 3.16, instruction and in righteousness. 2 Timothy 4 3, sound doctrine. Not shaky doctrine, sound doctrine. That's what you're supposed to teach. Or who do you teach, right? The people that are supposed to teach are 1, 1 Timothy 3 7, men of good report. That's a qualification for an elder. Titus 2 3, and 4, older men and older women. They're supposed to teach. 2 Timothy 3.15, parents and grandparents are supposed to teach. Titus 2.10, employees are supposed to teach. Matthew 18.3, I had to throw this in there, children teach. Remember when Jesus said, except you become as little children? How to become a little children? You've got to watch little children, and they can teach you a lesson. Matthew 5.16, laypersons teach, not just the preacher. Who's unqualified to teach? First Timothy one three, those with another doctrine. First Timothy one seven, those without understanding. First Timothy two twelve, authoritative women are not supposed to teach. First Timothy three two, those unable to teach. First Timothy six three, those who reject Jesus' words ought not to be teaching. And Titus 1.11, those who can be bought should not be teaching. Let's go to the last one. What's the curriculum? 1 Timothy 4.6 says, don't lie, hypocrisy, false doctrine, and unthankful. 1 Timothy 4.11, refuse fables, godliness, and trust in God. 1 Timothy 6 2, honor, serve, and respect masters. 2 Timothy 3.14, scripture that you were learned from as, as a child. Titus 2:3, to be sober, discreet, chaste, good, obedient. Titus 3:14, teach good works, you know, the fruit of the spirits. Wow, I thought preaching was supposed to make me happy. Look at all those commands in preaching. Look at all those commands in teaching. You know why? Because preaching and teaching are both twofold. Number one, there's instruction. And number two, there's inspiration. Inspiration comes in a number of forms. Commands, urgency, That's what Jesus said. Go and sin no more. Stop it. Stop it yesterday. Urgency. Exhort, rebuke, comfort, edify. We do all those things.